And you might think, what if I fall? Well, what if you don't? What if you fly? With so much love and respect, welcome to the Luke Adler Healing Podcast, where we turn pain into power and get down to what really matters, the love we share and the love we grow. This is for those who want to get intimate with life's living edge and use every instance as an opportunity for deepening and connection. To make life a work of art, painted by passion and fueled by a longing for a more beautiful world, ultimately creating space for all that we are. I'm your host, Luke Adler. Let's get it. All right. I am um, so excited to be here with you, Yvonne. And um, we are talking about um, agenda and intent in the context of life in the context of the eight extraordinary vessels and you know as as my my teaching partner in this new course we're launching the heart of the eight extraordinary vessels we're really shifting the way education is is experienced and one of our big intentions is birthed out of the chong mai and the dai mai for this course which is authenticity and tribe a sense of a sense of home and belonging and then the kind of admixture with the daimai is the ability to be grounded in the face of change and discomfort as kind of an advanced life skill. And so, yeah, we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about all of this today. And um, I think I think I'll pass it to you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're dealing with some of my favorite topics, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> These are the things that I like to talk about. Yeah, and and really, this idea that in Chinese medicine we have such a vast amount of uh, knowledge available to us historically, right? There's so much history in this medicine, but there isn't so much for modern day practitioners in terms of how do you. Uh, use Chinese medicine as a blueprint for living, mm. right? How do you embody the medicine in a way that makes you even more effective than what the knowledge allows you to be? So for me, that idea of a, uh, agenda versus intent is a huge one because I believe the way this educational system is set up here um, in North America um, is counter to how acupuncturists used to be trained. They used to be trained as apprentices. They used to study with a, ma a master for many, many, many years. That's not really practical here in the U.S. So now we have these colleges and we set up this master's program and people study. But in because it is so short, because it's only four years, we're really trained from the beginning in how to fix things, right? Which really smacks of agenda, mm -hmm. right? Like if the patient has spleen chi deficiency, here's what you do. That will fix it. 
you use these points, you use these herbs, you recommend these foods, and the patient will get better, right? And that is true to a certain degree. Patients will feel better, but unless they take responsibility for that information and unless they change their lifestyles or unless they look at how they got there in the first place, it's likely that whatever they're suffering from, it's probably going to come back. So for me, this idea that if we go into a treatment room and we put our agenda aside, like we put aside the list of things we want to fix or the list of outcomes we expect to see, um, and we go in with the intent of helping the patient to take responsibility for their own health or uh, creating an environment where we provide information, either verbally or hands-on or through the needles in some way, shape, or form, that we provide patient information that then they can decide if it will serve them or not, right? I mean, how many times are you in a treatment room where you give somebody a list of homework or herbs to take and, and you know this is going to help them? And then the next week they come back and you say how to go with the herbs. And they say, well, I, I didn't really take them. I kept forgetting to take them. Right. And now you have to say to yourself, okay, well, maybe they don't want to get better or, or, you know, maybe it's not the right formula or whatever it is. There's so much agenda in that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we go in with this idea that we're just going to try to create a space in which people can choose to heal, then the patient takes responsibility and they decide what is useful to them in the moment. I think that creates more lasting change mm -hmm. than agenda. But it is hard to let go of that because we get a lot of value uh, in terms of feeling validated when our patients get better. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you pointing to um, really, really a different way of not just um, treating, but a different way of living. And that's, yeah. that's this being with our patient and attuning to attuning to what maybe they're, they're asking for at a deeper level or, um, what they're not saying. And of course we have ways to diagnose that can help us discern that, but it's, it's a very different model than Western medicine and certainly just Cartesian thinking of, of kind of reasoning from a to B to C. I was reading Liu Lu Hong's book, Classical Chinese Medicine, recently, and he, he was making this case that uh, similar to what you just said, that you know, Chinese medicine education is a modeled after Western medicine education. It's just here, here's the program, follow it. Which was uh he I think he was saying in 1956 that was introduced in China. Prior to that, it was all apprentice learning. Yeah. Um, he was comparing the way the ways the two medicines uh, discern knowledge. You know, obviously in Western medicine we do meta analysis, but in Chinese medicine he talked about our way of of 
of discerning what's true, he used the word contemplation. Yeah. Which he was, as he elucidated, it was more of a, a deep, um, a, it wasn't so much thinking, it was a deep being with what was yeah. there in front of him. And, you know, I come in from a meditative background in the Hindu tradition, they say that the very highest practice is uh, called tarka, which is perfected reasoning. So it's, and the translation of it further is meditative realization. So when you yeah. put something in your consciousness and you let it steep, that it starts to reveal things to you. Yeah. And I, I thought that was so powerful to hear that from the Chinese medicine perspective, that this is where all this information came from. It, yes. it, it didn't just like randomly happen. There were people, we call them physicians, but really there were more healers who were just deeply with reality and reality began to reveal itself. Yeah. And um, that's what I hear you pointing to. And really what the more, as we talk about it, I'm like, yes, this is what we're offering this, this more ancient way. Yeah. And ancient is probably not the best word, but it, but a deep, a deep being with a deep attuning to yeah. what's already here. Yeah. Yeah. And in that sense, it isn't really about fixing. It's more about recognizing and remembering. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. If you can create a space in which people can recognize what is happening to them and remember what it felt like before that happened, then they can get in touch with their resources and they can make different decisions. And so in some ways, we're talking about creating an avenue for consciousness or for self-awareness, which is where healing really happens. I'm yeah. um, not downplaying the knowledge that we have. You know, the knowledge that we have is really important. We can create incredible spaces. We can make very complex diagnoses and we can address those imbalances but you can't make a patient well. The patient has to decide to be well. Yeah. The patient has to decide to do what is necessary for them to become well. And no amount of skill as a practitioner can force that. It's interesting. Even if you look at, I guess, acupuncture or, or herbal medicine, um, I remember maybe 10 years ago, I I was always, you know, wanting to do deep work with my patients. And then I discovered, well, these folks are so ill physically that they, they can't hold the realization, you know, they'll hold it and then they'll collapse because, you know, the, the kidney yang's depleted or the heart yang's depleted yeah. or whatever, the heart kidneys aren't communicating. And so yeah. no matter how many breakthroughs they'd have, they keep defaulting back to their pattern. So then I thought, oh, I got to get better at herbal medicine so that I can boost these systems. So of course I did that and they did work, but as they got better, they just, they were able to confront their issue. They still had to work out the issue. You know, it's not that, yeah. the, not that the chemistry of yeah. the herbs kind of helped them break through their issue with their mother or father, but it did give them the energy to, to do the work. So there, there, there is that, that complementary action. Yeah. You need them both. And you need them in a way that is in alignment with where the patient decides to do the work, whatever level they decide. 
mean, I, I always talk in class about this one patient I had who came in with four chief complaints, right? Her uh, first chief complaint was insomnia. The second chief complaint was anxiety. Uh, the third chief complaint was addiction. And the fourth chief complaint was wrinkles. Just a little bit, a little bit of stuff. Right. And wrinkles was at the end. And she was an esthetician, so she had beautiful skin. You would have needed a magnifying glass to find wrinkles, but wrinkles was the last on the list. And I was very early in my practice and didn't want to do cosmetic acupuncture. I didn't want to treat wrinkles. I wanted to treat, you know, the deeper stuff. And I did what I was trained to do. I said to her, uh, you know, of these four things, which is the thing that's causing you the most suffering, thinking that's where I'll start. And she said, wrinkles. Wrinkles, yeah, of course. (laughs) Right? And so I, in my hubris, decided that that wasn't something I wanted to do. And I sent her to David Chan, who I happened to be working with at the time. And David treated her wrinkles. And as he treated her wrinkles, the other stuff got better. And so for me, that very early in my practice was this turning point of it's not my decision what a patient wants to work on. It's not my level of expertise that decides where we're going to start. The patient tells you that. Yeah. Right. And you have to let go of whatever agenda you've got. I was going to help her with that insomnia and the anxiety because this is what I do. No, she needed someone to witness her struggle with the wrinkles. Yeah. That's a powerful so, example. I love that. Yeah. It was a turning point for me in my practice many years ago. I was lucky that it happened to me so early yeah. because it really shifted how I related to my patients. Mm -hmm. And I began to realize that the self-judgment that all of my patients had, you know, where they would come in and say, you know, I didn't, didn't watch my diet enough, or I didn't get enough exercise, or I'm not doing the things I need to do to get a good night's sleep, you know, where I would look at the patient and say, look, I've never heard self-judgment make anything better. So, you know, you can just let that go. But I realized that I was judging. Right. You were judging her self-judgment. Yeah, I'm judging her self-judgment, and I'm judging what I think she needs, and I'm judging where I think we should start, and I'm judging what will make her life better, right? It's like, oh, my God, that's just a crap ton of judgment. So what's what's so uh, amazing about linking this to the eight extras is we don't actually have to link them. The model for this is it's the extraordinary vessels. Yeah. Yeah. And so we had talked about how the pre and postnatal die um, point to agenda versus intent. Yeah. And, and that if the dime is, is loaded with, you know, shadow material or unprocessed experiences, emotions, traumas, however we want to categorize them, then even if we're wanting to have an intention, it's being filtered by yeah. this content. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah, we don't really talk about that a lot in our training. We get so little training on the eight extras anyway. But really, when we talk about the dimai, we're almost always talking about that postnatal pathway, which is a vehicle for latency. 
It's, you know, the bucket that we use to stuff things down into when we're just overwhelmed by life or experience or whatever. But before that is created, after you take your first breath, there is a pathway of that dynamite that just sort of holds everything together that helps to create communication between the Chong, the Du, and the Ren. It is the only horizontal vessel in the body, so everything comes in contact with it as it moves up and down. And so it becomes a sort of mediator, Mm. an integrator for personal experience. Also, because of that horizontal thing, it's very important for grounding, like we were talking about when you Mm. got started. And so now we recognize that if we can clear the shadow stuff, or even if we can just begin to bring it a little bit into the light, Mm. then we have access to that mediating function. Yeah. Right. To that prenatal function that helps us to establish boundaries, that helps us be grounded, that helps us to recognize what is in our sphere of influence and what isn't. I mean, I'm just I'm feeling so moved as you're describing that because I do a lot of deep integrative shadow work with with people um, and there's a fear that folks have when they start to face their wounding and pain. And I've, I've heard people say this, I'm afraid I'm going to die or I'm going to break into a million pieces if I face this thing that happened to me. And um, what you're describing is that as you face your, your wounding, as you work in that postnatal trajectory, that bucket, and you bring it up to the pericardium and it starts to be illuminated and we find, wow, we have the capacity to, to, for this to be illumined. It's just built in to the structure yeah. energetically. It's not something we have to, I think in the Western model, we think I have to process this in my brain. No, no, no. It gets processed through the heart Yeah. if we turn yeah. towards it. And then as that settles and, and coalesces, there's this beautiful um, consolidation of the dime. I, I do think of it as a belt that's kind of next yeah. Ren and the Du and the Chong, where you have that those beautiful aspects of yin and those aspects of yang, and then you have the Chong vibrating in the core, and you have you have this this central access of being that can unfold. I mean that that is just so ma- magnificent to consider. Yeah, yeah. That if we face our deepest work, there there's something underneath that 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 is not just intelligent. It's built to flow with our resources. Yeah. And it's designed specifically for you and your curriculum. Mm. It's the thing when you have access to that, you have access to every bit of resource you need mm. to be the person you were meant to be. Oh my when God. you create that latency and you push things down into the dynamite, you lose access to that. Yeah. Right. And so you stop growing. And it becomes about surviving. Yeah. Right. Which is an amazing thing to have because sometimes we just need to survive. Yeah. Right. But we can live from that place. We're meant for more. Survival is good, it's the prime directive. 
but we human beings were meant for so much more mm. than surviving. And when you stuff everything down into the Dhammai in that way, you block access to the resources that allow you to be as human as you are meant to be. Mm. So, yeah, it, you know, you embody that, then you, you know that you have resources. You can feel them. Yes. Right? You can feel the vitality that is there. As we siphon, you know, as as we're loading that postnatal daimai, that that bucket aspect of of the daimai, so to speak, and you know, we can conceptualize that in different ways. There's this siphoning off of yin and yang yes. from from Ren and Du, right? So we're using yeah. fluids, we're using blood, we're using we're using jinya, we're using just qi, just zhang qi, to yeah. to manage to manage what's down there, and yeah, that's to keep it there, to keep it there. And so then that can't flow along Chiang Mai on longer yeah. print. And so, you know, there, there's, the, there's the whole predicament. Yeah. Yeah. So you do this for survival, but the minute you do that, then you can't thrive. And so it's okay to do it for survival because that is essential for growth. You have to be alive, right? But then once you have managed to get some distance from whatever the experience is or gain some perspective for whatever the experience is or to gather a little more resources, then you have to face that. Because if you don't face it, you can't move. Life becomes static. You just keep stuck, keep getting stuck in these repeated loops of experience. Because you can't move forward because you don't have access. So, yeah, I think anytime we create latency, it's a gift because it allows us to stay alive. But every gift has its cost. And when you're talking about the daimai, you're talking about the most deep and profound cost. Mm. That you can create because that latency is created at the level of Jing. Right. Right. At the level of Yuan Chi. It's created at the level of who you are and who you are meant to be. Mm. That's a that's a costly form of latency. I was thinking this morning, um, I have a friend who's becoming a, a medical doctor. And I was thinking, God, what would it be like to be doing a residency? in family medicine right now in a hospital in a, in that kind of setting and i and i wanted to vomit you know i, I made me so yeah, hard and then i thought about how good i feel practicing chinese medicine what if it fits so well for my being and it has it has always felt that way there's yeah. been hard times as i've learned uh, yeah. through my learning and evolution within its context but yeah is totally aligned with my my being and yeah. how thankful I am that I'm that I'm not kind of off my path, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I I really discovered very early on um that that this was more than just a practice for me, that it was a way to live my life. Yeah. And the minute I did that and embrace that idea that this was 
a way to live, to be in the world. Um, I thought I'm never going to get bored. I'm, I'm, you know, never not going to be able to rise to the challenge because as long as I'm alive, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. But that comes from a place of really embodying what it is we've learned. Yes. Right. Living it in a way that is real for us. Right. Um, and we're not really taught that in school. Right. So, I mean, this is one of the things that is so exciting to me about this um, course coming up that we're doing is that it is people are going to get an opportunity to feel those vessels alive mm -hmm. in them. Mm. Right. To feel where their uh, strength is, to feel where their vulnerability is, to feel where their resistance is in a way that um, allows them to choose. Mm. Right. That's a, that's a very powerful thing, I think. Yeah, I love I love feeling into that and conceptualizing conceptualizing it in a certain way that we're returning to the 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 roots of learning from our tradition and the roots of our research. We research by sitting deeply with something. Yeah. And uh I I mean I have the I have the only way I've learned this medicine, I, I have not been able to memorize a damn thing. I'm not good at memorizing this stuff. But if I just keep reading it over and over and over, one day all of a sudden I just get it. It it all clicks, and I and I can see oh that that's this process, yeah, of sitting with the material, letting it just kind yeah. of soak into me. Um, you know, of course, there's some memorizing involved in, in certain ways, but yeah. And then as as I tune into what we're doing, it's not so much that we have to break through anything. This no. is the process of feeling into it. it's taking the shen and feeling into what's there and and what's there is going to have some emotional sensation oriented content. Yeah. And but the more awareness you have of that, the more choice you have. Right. More agency you have. Right? We're yeah. not talking about uh having expectations around uh, what a person is going to do with that awareness, right? We're just talking about giving people an opportunity to actually feel those, that flow. Yeah. And everything that is associated with that flow. Yeah. In their bodies, in whatever capacity they have in the moment. And my sensibility over the years is as that occurs, as we, as we make space for our own experience. Yeah that it it naturally allows that to include others so yes as i as i'm able to bring up a wound i might have with my father that i've stored down in that region or throughout my system i gain the ability to be with you know kind of a domineering personality and it it bothers me less yeah. i have more freedom and choice to be with it yeah i can set a boundary i can you know get lighthearted with it i can so there's there's so many gifts in in the wounding of that yeah. postnatal daimai. And when you are capable of doing that work, you now can hold that space in a treatment room for somebody else who's struggling in that way. Yeah. And you don't have to do anything. You just have to be. 
And this is where the agenda type, like you can study anything from an agenda perspective, including the eight extras. Yeah. So if you haven't done your work per se, and you're like, oh, but I've studied that, you know, the postnatal dimai, if I drain it with GB41 and GB26 and GB27 and stomach 30, you know, then I can, then I can work with it. And you certainly can try. Yeah. 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 And you may even ease a patient's suffering by doing that. But that is not as deep and profound as this medicine can go. And it is easier to look at that approach when somebody is suffering from an acute illness that is present in the moment and there's no history attached to it, like maybe they had an accident or they got COVID or whatever it is. Um, But patients that come to us now are complex and layered and are really um, manifesting a whole history of experience. And when that happens, you can't just drain something and everything will get better. You have to look at that person in a greater context, and you have to figure out how to empower them Hmm. to take responsibility for their own healing, right? That's a, that's a still essential that, you know, the knowledge that, you know, which points do what, which channels go where, what resources they use. You still have to know all that, but now you're going to use it in a completely different way. Right. Yeah, to me that that points to not just kind of mechanically opening and closing different energetic shunts and valves in the body, so to speak, but being able to embody the energetic of a certain channel such that yeah. whatever might move in the treatment room, there's there's a there's a context of energy that can hold it. Yeah. And you know, this is why Chinese medicine is different than Western medicine, is that we the the provider becomes the instrument yeah you know we're not we're not running you through a bunch of uh, tech technological kind of tests to discern what's wrong it's it's our awareness and our being that is discerning diagnosing and holding the actual space yeah yeah i think Physicists are catching up with this now, right? The astrophysicists are catching up with this with their discussion of the biofield, right? Right, and how we're all connected in that biofield. And really, in that sense, from that sort of sciencey point of yeah. view, what we're talking about is matching a resonance or a vibration, an archetypal energy, uh, in such a way that we fill the biospace with that energy. Right. And then the patient feels that information in the biofield. Yeah. And then they decide what they're going to do with that. I know you've had this experience as, as, as I'm sure many out there have, where you just walk in the treatment room and the patient starts to cry. Right. And you could say, Oh, they feel safe and 
that's all true but i think what what's happening at that level of the biofield is there's a there's an opening of a certain energetic that yeah. allows that to just move for them yeah you know and and in that sense yeah the healing occurs occurs with the needle without the needle with the words without the words yeah with the thought without the thought yeah but yeah i'm in a relational context is what i'm yeah and and in that sense the knowledge doesn't become less important the knowledge that you have learned over time helps you to embody the experience in a way that you can impact that biofield right so i mean i've i've said for years to my students if you have done your job well right the work is done before the first needle goes in mm-hmm. the needles hold the space in that biofield mm-hmm. they're important they're useful but they're not the thing that makes the change right right and so the more you can embody the wisdom of that system the more you uh, impact the biofield, the more information is available to the patient to choose. We're pointing to one of our intentions for for this course, which is authenticity and tribe, and we've we've kind of gone around, you know, the ability to be uh, steady around discomfort and um, yeah. change, and as as we're in touch with our authenticity more which which could be a, any number of our of experiences we start to i think naturally want to be with others that are like that yeah and i think as a profession you know we're 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 getting we are we're always getting pushed towards western medicine like let's be more like them let's research like them let's talk like them and it it goes really against the core of our of 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 our being as a as an energetic phenomenon yeah yeah for me i mean every practitioner's mind works differently right and you have to engage the information in a way like you're talking about how your memory wasn't good i was the opposite i had an almost eidetic memory when i went through school i could write everything on one page take a look at that page five minutes before a test and then go in and get an a (laughs) so you know grades good but there's no learning in that right you have to ponder it and you have to keep pondering it so i sort of look at this this push towards integrative medicine in two different ways first of all it's a way to fit into the medical model in this country right to do what we can to fit in and in that sense we are sacrificing some of our deep poetic and lyrical understanding of what it is to be human on the other hand i think engaging the science engaging the western medicine can bring you clarity Mm -hmm. into the gifts of chinese medicine yeah um but you you still have to ponder it. You still have to embody it. You still have to do the personal work. Right. 
regardless of whether you're interested in Western medicine or integrated medicine or functional medicine or whatever it is, um, and bring it back to this incredible model that we have for existence. So, you know, to my mind, I'm not that interested in that stuff. But I know a lot of really amazing practitioners who are very interested. And one of the things that they're starting to discover is the more they dig into Western medicine, to the science of it, the more they come back to how brilliant Chinese medicine is. Right. Right. Right? It's like, well, it's all here. Yeah. It's all here. So I say whatever gets you there, the goal should be to embody the wisdom of this medicine in a way that you become it. Right. It's, it's exciting to, to think about the generative, the generative energy as we, as we sink into our authenticity and we, we feel more into the medicine. I think there's a natural sense of coming together around that and a kind of level setting of, more hierarchical thinking and um, kind of expertise around kind of standardization that we should all do this, this, and this. I mean, Chinese medicine just does not work like that. You know, you you no. can't standardize things because it's coming through the uniqueness of, of each being. And that's the problem with studying it, uh, researching it in a Western way. And what we're, what we're really talking about is returning to Chinese medicine research, the deep, yeah. the deep being with, yeah. What's, what's here and part of that is being with each other as as providers who have chosen this path this is a different path and it's i mean i'm i'm blessed in a certain way that the united states is welcoming of this medicine that's you know different culturally yeah and, and it's uh you know it's it's a tribute in some ways to the the freedom of that exploration that this country yeah. affords and it's exciting to think about hey let's let's actually um celebrate that with each other you know let that yeah. grow and encourage one another around that and there's there's some kind of the, the to me the field can get stronger when we're in it together and that's yeah. part of why i'm excited about this course is to say yeah. you know there's there's going to be so there's so much wisdom of the people we're going to study with i'm excited to hear what they have to say you know their perspectives yeah it's there's uniqueness and and a diff, and a different sense of history and learning, you know. Yeah, yeah, and coming from different backgrounds and having practiced different things before you study Chinese medicine, like some people are going to be body workers and other people are going to be nurses or yeah. you know, nature paths. Yeah, each path that brought you there um, gives you a perspective on the medicine that's going to be unique. And so, yeah, everyone's got something to offer mm-hmm. in that sense, which like you, I'm looking forward to because my sense is that, you know, sometimes I, I feel overwhelmed by how little impact I can have in what is going on in the world in sort of global or bigger sort of sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I, I can't stop the war in Ukraine. I can't, um, 
you know, other than recycling and doing things like that, can't really stop global warming on my own. There's so little influence I have as an individual. Yeah. And, you know, I've had this discussion with my kid a number of times. And one of the things she said to me, which really has pushed me in the last five years, is that um, when you don't know what to do, build community. Mm. That that's how the world is going to change. Wow. Violet said that? Yeah. Wow. Build community. That's what she said. Wow. And and it's like, okay, I can do that. Yeah. That is within my power. I can do that. Right. Right? And that makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, a community that's that's steeped around a set of of principles, tradition, wisdom. You know, I, I I really hold us as the lineage holders of these ancient healers, Zhang Zhang Jing. Yeah. You know, um uh and Sun Simiao, etc. It's the you know, we're the current manifestation of this powerful tradition. And then yeah. you know, I, I think coming together uh around that esoteric power that resonance um is exciting and it does feel like yeah i I think we had talked about we are on the front lines of of some degree of crisis in the psycho emotional yes Yes. huge crisis i think mental health crisis yeah and we need to support each other we need to support one another you know in all the ways we can to yeah to bring our strengths forward. And that's, 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 that's a big intention we have. Yeah. And a doable one. Yeah. 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 Completely doable. Right. <laughs> so we have intent, we have ingen- agenda. We have, uh, I think we covered our, our bases here. Yeah, maybe we did authenticity. authenticity. We did the, Pre and postnatal dynamite. We do yep. tribe, right? Yeah, the the ability to be grounded in the face of change and discomfort. I mean, that's that one is that's like I said earlier. That's an advance to me. That's advanced. I mean, for me, yeah. There's, I guess there's always an edge with that. Like, how much discomfort and change are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. I think of leadership when I think of that. That's yeah. Not just being calm in a storm, because there's lots of folks that can be dissociated and function well. But yeah. we're talking about, no, no, no. You're in that prenatal dimai. Yeah. And you're attuning to the postnatal dimai. It's not that that stuff's yeah. gone, but there's space for it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So sometimes for me, that's like this, this capacity as human beings that we have to experience um deep and profound sorrow but not lose the capacity for joy yeah that's beautiful right and that in some sense if you cannot hold the sorrow you don't get to feel the joy Mm -hmm. gosh that's true right and so that idea of being able to sit in it when it's not comfortable yeah right is it's a gift it's a profound capacity to yes 
Yeah, and it takes some practice and yep. some willingness and yep. yeah, and support, right? It's hard to do alone. I think it does take tribe for that because there has to be that uh I've been talking about this lately in in various contexts. There has to be that steady presence of love and acceptance over time. Yeah. Those of us that didn't have have caregivers that were consistent we didn't get that. And that was the source of a lot of our, our bonding and safety issues. So when we have a tribe that's steady over time, all of a sudden we feel safer and safer to be with yeah. grief, anger, fear, yeah, lust, whatever it might be. Yeah, because you know the witnessing comes with love, right? Yeah. That it's one thing to be able to see someone in it, but to really see them in it in a compassionate and caring way because you have been in it yourself or are in it yourself um that yeah that takes tribe i think yeah which you know the tribe of two provider provider patient that's that's the that's yeah that's a tribe that's a tribe yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. You feel complete in all that? I feel like we could sit here and we could talk for another three or four hours. We could keep going, yeah. You know, stuff to do, places to go, people to see. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we we wanted to give folks a a, a sense of our our uh, our work and how we're going to yeah. be working. And so, yeah, I'm I I do think because what we're offering is maybe a little unique or different that it. It helps maybe to give people who might be interested in the retreat a sense of who we are. Yeah. And what's important to us. Yeah. Yeah. And the long history of our relationship and, you know, yeah. various iterations of it and and coming coming together to offer this, you know, letting people feel that history and you know, that's cool. Yeah, it's not our first party. No, it's not. Definitely not. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Yvonne. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Lots of love to everyone out there who's listening and you know where to find us. Thank you.